When I was a kid, I grew up in Florence, Alabama, and we were square in Florence, and on Saturdays you'd go down to the square and there would always be a medicine man there. And these medicine men had this bottle of medicine that they would claim would cure anything, rheumatology, anything, any problem you had. Uh, Dr. Pierce's golden medical discovery is one of them. Lydia Pinkins was another one. And the medicine man was standing out there one day reading all the things that was on the bottle that said what would be cured by this medicine. And then he said, uh, he was telling everybody that I got my joke wrong. He was telling everybody what would be cured. And then he said, if you don't believe me, read it right here on the bottle. Well, if you don't believe what I have to say about the history that we're going to talk about in the windows, read it right here in the book. <laughs> because the it's got it all, which you can get in the bookstore. And uh, I'll be glad to sign it to you today if you'd like to like to have one. Let me start by giving you some history of um, this church, giving you a little bit on the city of Birmingham. Birmingham was founded in December of 1871. It was uh, spearheaded by a man in Montgomery named Josiah Morris of Morris Avenue fame. He was reputed to be the richest man in Alabama. He put together a group of ten men to form something called the Elaton Land Company. Now, Elaton was a little community out where the ancestral home um, Arlington is. That's frequently on tours. It was that that was where Elaton was. This was four thousand. Downtown Birmingham was four, a little over four thousand acres of just raw land. And it was formed to create an industrial center. And you know the rest of the story about that part of it. That was January of 1871. 1872. Uh, that was December. 1872 in January. The advent was organized. Now they had a little church out and give services, but not very often in that little church in Elaton. The, uh, they built then, in, by 1873, they built the first church. Now, the land that was given, the Elton Land Company gave land to five churches. We got, the, we got the prime piece of property because we were right in the center of the residential area of Birmingham. The The... The city was down where Morris Avenue is. And we got the Pine Prime Priest. The Methodist block over got a nice lot. The Catholics got a lot. The Baptists got a lot, which they sold in the Civil Rights uh, era. And the Presbyterians all got a lot. And we all got, we got the full down to the alley going this way, but half a block going this way. And there were houses on that other half of the block where the parking lot is. In fact, at one point on the corner there, there was a filling station. The first church was built where Clingman Commons is. And it was built to hold 200 people. That's 1873. 
1892. It had been enlarged twice. The church had seats 600 people. 1892, Thanksgiving Day, the little church burned the ground. Right after the, closely after the Thanksgiving service. And of course, everybody lived around here. They, they rushed in to try to save it, and they did save some things. The eagle there was in the original church. The altar cross was in the original church. You ought to read the story about that. One of the, the things, I've got memorials to, I mean, I've got stories about the people that gave these memorials uh, to the Advent. And one thing that I put in the forward is a, is a quote that I liked, which said, Everybody you know sits next to a pool of tears. And you read some of these memorials. This man that gave that altar cross up there had lost a, his wife of 33 years and his 17-year-old daughter the same year. But anyway, that survived. The baptismal font back in the back, back, back in there, what we call the uh, baptistry now. It was called the Children's Chapel at one point. It's back there. It survived. And then there's some silver that's in the safe that survived the fire. Now, the church had been, they had been, we don't know exactly when they started building the new church. There is a a map that shows Birmingham um, design on this block, and it shows the footprint of this building in 1888. But they would start and stop. They'd have fights about, are we going to borrow money or we're not going to borrow money? And they concluded, we're not going to borrow any money. So they'd start and stop when they got the money. Uh, and, and they were raising money all the time. And one of the fundraising things that the ladies of the church were, were the great fundraisers. I guess the men spent, they got the money from the men, but they raised the money. And they put on, in uh, 18... 90, they put on something called a kermis, K-I-R-M-E-S-S. Now, a kermis is something that brings a troop of people from Europe that just shows native dancing uh, in what, what, native, what dancing looks like in the Netherlands and in Belgium and so forth. And it created a stir. The purpose was to raise money for a new building, but, quote, but even stately dances in a pageant seem wicked to Methodist, Baptist, and Presbyterian ministers. A union preachers meeting in Birmingham unanimously endorsed the stand taken by the Alabama Methodist Christian Advocate, which declared that a church that will do such things for the purpose of making money is rotten at the very core and ought to be stamped out of existence by the aroused, righteous indignation of an outraged public. In spite of the criticisms, the Kermish was duly performed, as you would expect from the Advent. The Birmingham News rushed to the Advent's defense, asserting that there was, quote, not as much evil in the Kermish as in the bit of bigotry displayed in its denunciation. So 1892, the building was 
And when the fire hit in 1892, Thanksgiving, the building, the, the roof was in, the, f- the flooring was in, and we went to several places. We had Lenten, had our Lent series that year at the First Presbyterian Church, block, two blocks down. Uh, we, we were able to get in here in September of 93. The and what I want to do now, well, first of all, I want to want to acquaint you with the layout of traditional churches. What was traditional? What would be considered traditional churches a hundred years ago? They were made in the form of a cross, and ours is a ours is not much of a cross, but the the inserts are there. The um, they're made like a built like an upside down ship, and you can see that that you're looking at like you're looking at the bottom of the ship that is six about sixty five feet high, which would be six and a half stories of an office building. It cost us about fifty about ten thousand dollars to change the lights up there. Um, the reason churches were built like a ship is because it symbolizes Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark had eight people in it that survived the flood. But it survived not only the flood, it survived the judgment of God because God caused the flood because of his judgment on mankind. But eight people survived. So we are in Noah's Ark because we are survivors of the flood. If you have your child baptized in our baptismal font, it's eight-sided. It symbolizes the same thing. Now I want to move to the, well, wait a minute. A lancet window, this is just vocabulary. A lancet window is... Windows that have that come to a point at the end, uh, which is true for Gothic buildings, Gothic churches. So if you read in the book or hear me talk about a triple lancet, we're talking about three windows pointed up at the top. The area you are seating in is called the nave. If you came from other Protestant churches this day and time, you called it the sanctuary. We don't call it, well, most people do call it sanctuary, but it's not the sanctuary, it's the nave. The sanctuary here starts at the altar rail. And then the, the, from the altar rail to these steps is called the chancel. And these are the chancel steps. Now we're going to, I'm going to, I want to mention one thing about if you, if you, not only what I would just warm my heart if you buy the book, but if you actually read it, it would be wonderful. Um, I have so many people say, your book is a very prominent place on my coffee table. <laughs> That's about the extent. But let me just tell you the, the, the layout of it. You can read it devotionally. It starts with the doors. And then there will be a description of the doors. And then there will be a meditation about the doors. 
that particular one is written by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, um, George Carey. Then the, the same thing about the statue outside, the Compassionate Christ statue. I had one lady that never knew there was a Compassionate Christ statue outside because she always comes into the church that way or comes in this way and never has been down there. But then you come into the, the same same thing. You, every, everything that everything we're going to look at today, just about, it, it'll be a description which is short. Then there'll be the the pictures of the item itself, the compassionate Christ, the window, etc. Then there'll be a meditation, and the meditation's I think 300 words, about the same as a um, the, the things the clergy write for the for the uh, newsletter. It says you can do that. One day you can do one thing, the next day you can do the next, and you'll get 28 meditations. There are also meditations on the war memorial altar and on the baptismal font. Now we're going to go, we're going to move from 1893 to 1902. And I'm going to tell you what was here in 1902 if you had come to the Advent. The windows, everything up, everything up here relates to the advent, which means the coming, and it means, of course, the coming of Christ. And the, the coming that is talked about is his birth, which is on the left. The painting, which is the coming of Christ to us in the breaking of the bread. And then the second coming. Those windows, if you had been here in 1903, those windows would have been here, as well as the window on the left, which you cannot see, which is Gabriel. You remember it was Gabriel that appeared to Mary. And the window on the right is the archangel Michael, who is the person who will uh, announce the second coming. By the way, traditional churches face east. Why do we face east? Because that, according to what the Bible tells us, is where Jesus is coming from the east. So if you see, you notice people at the Advent when the choir stands and, they, and all the choir turns this way, because you're already facing this way, but they do that to face east. And the, and the best thing in the world you could be saying if Jesus comes a second time is, I believe in Jesus, the Son of God. The... Um, The nativity window, the bottom part of the nativity window, is totally different from the top part. The bottom part deals with the fall in the garden. And the passage of scripture that is written there that is called the Proto-Evangel. It's the first new, first word in the Bible that says there's going to be some good news. Let me let me quote it for you. Um, and I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed; it shall bruise your, thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That that scripture's in that little part of that window, and you'll see the a, a cross up there with a baby on it, and um, 
And Mary, Mary, I mean, uh, Eve looking like what? Eve and Adam are up there. Incidentally, the descriptions when you get to the windows, I, I paid a lady that um, has a master's in stained glass art who lives in Birmingham, Janice Ford Freeman, to write the descriptions. I started out with the first one. I was up there. That one up there at the top, by the way, is John the Baptist, who's also associated with the coming of Christ. I started out in the John the Baptist describing that, and then I thought, I don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I've got a law degree and i got a divinity degree, but I don't know anything about stained glass art. So I need to find somebody. Well, there, there are several just total God things that happened with this book. One was Mark and I were cleaning out a file cabinet on Labor Day. One year when I first started, this book took me about two and a half years. Um, and we ran across a book, a little thing about the Advent. It was maybe five or six pages. No author, don't know who wrote it. But in it, it said there's this woman named Janice Ford Freeman who wrote her master's thesis at UAB on stained glass art uh, in uh, between 1850 and, and 1890 in central Alabama churches. And I went looking for who Janice Ford Freeman was and found out she was right here in Birmingham. And then went to see her, read her dissertation in the library over at UAB and read about what she'd said about the, about these windows, the ones that were in her book. And so I went to, Jan- to Janice and I said, will you, if I pay you, will you write these descriptions for me? And she did. So you're seeing something really professionally done there. And she also has a, a three or four pages on how stained glass art is made. She talks about the art studios. I don't know if you know about stained glass art studios. We have a we have a mixture. The 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 um, windows in this church were were. Um, it took 53 years for this church to look like it looks looks today. So, a little here, a little there. The, uh, but the art, the studios, we've got, we've got some famous studios, which is, this one's Mayer, which is out of these two here, well, they're more than these two, but you can see these two. Uh, Mayer is, uh, was sort of the one source in Munich, Germany. And then after World War One, they weren't a source anymore. So Mayer did some of our windows. We do not have, some people think that's a, um, what's, what's the guy that's the famous stained glass? Tiffany. Tiffany. We don't have any Tiffany windows. We have a studio that copied Tiffany, and that window kind of looks like it. And then we have we have about six windows that we don't even know who the studio is. Probably done somewhere in Alabama. But but amazingly, and this is, I think the God thing, I think it puts it, they put it together beautifully because I think this place is gorgeous. All right. The um, we're we're in 1892. 
those windows are here. The, uh, the Echo Omo window, which is the circular window right up there, uh, was there. It, it came in, the Echo Omo is Behold the Lamb. Um, it was done in 1893. That window, back in the, sometime in this century, I mean last century, when they were doing something, they had scaffolding up there, and they found a bullet hole in it. And they put a Band-Aid over it. And it stayed for years and years and years. There's a hole with a Band-Aid over it up there. And in the early 90s, they, re- they, they repaired it, so it no longer has the hole in it. Uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful window. 1890, let's see what else. Let me, uh, the um, children's windows, now you, you can see behind you, those two windows on the left and right there are the children's windows. And above, the, the transepts above them are the Ten Commandments windows. They're, they're newer. But the children's windows are, let the little children come unto me, and um, unless you come as a little child, you're not going to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Then the windows up high there are the Trinity and the four evangelists. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Trinity's in the center. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are symbolized by their symbols. Uh, and that was done in 1900. The, this uh, pulpit here has a symbol, has uh, the four evangelists plus Christ. Christ is here. And then... Matthew, Mark, and so forth. And the symbol is down here on these. It's the, of, of Mark, it's the lion. And the same thing, you'll see the lion up there uh, as a symbol of Mark. That was done way centuries ago. Those, those symbols were chosen. The, the, um, now, 1892 or 93. There's an article in, written in the Birmingham News on Holy Saturday before Easter in 1892. Excuse me. 1902, 10 years off. And the article is about the altar and what is called the reredos, R-E-R-E-D-O-S. The altar and the reredos had come from Munich. They had been hand-carved in Munich, which I think was then Bavaria. And they were real excited, as well as the work of art was supposed to have been, was done in, in, in Munich. The work of art, according to the, what the, the lady that um, wrote the art, was the source of the article, was supposed to be a copy of a well-known painter who painted the Last Supper this direction, because most of them, you know, this way. 
the real famous paintings of the Last Supper this way, but they painted this way. But we didn't know anything about the copy or the or the painter that was supposed to have copied it until I sent an email to the art museum that has it. And it was done by a fairly famous person. I had never heard of him, and I don't, I could, it's, it's in the book. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I sent the picture of this painting to the art museum in Munich. And I said, I understand you have this painting. And they wrote me back and said, we do, it's in storage. It's, it's, I say it's unfinished. It's un, it was unfinished. It's in storage, but he took, he gave me a picture of it. Well, picture didn't look anything at all like our painting. And he said that, having seen the real thing of the of the one that was painted. The only thing that I saw in the picture of it, and this one is the on Jesus' right, Jesus' left hand. There's a man kneeling there. Somebody said they thought that was a woman. Weren't we forward thinking in 1902? That wasn't a woman. That was a man. It's probably John seated there. We've, um, there's, of course, it's nothing at this point in time. The book, the painting, the painting is described by, um, Amanda Adams, who has a Ph.D. in Christian art, does a beautiful job at describing it. It, it is not in good condition. It, you got to remember that for, oh, probably 50, 60 years, there was no air conditioning in this building. They made a point of, in the, one of the books about the um, Advent, made a point of saying in 1935 we got fans put on the side of the wall. They had to hire preachers that had loud voices because there's no PA system. But if you were if you are a painting with the humidity of the summer in a church in downtown Birmingham, you're going to have some tough times. I mean, it's now cool 24 hours a day and heated 24 hours a day, but it it shows it. It would cost at least a hundred thousand dollars, but if you tried to restore it, and there's real big questions as to whether it would be restorable or not. It, the, the wood's all cracked behind it and it's cracked the painting, and so we just enjoy it the way it is. And maybe someday it'll have to be replaced, but I don't know if it's made it a hundred and what, 13 years, it might make it another 50 or so. Who knows? The um, the rare dose came at the same time. Then that's that part that I wanted to talk about. And then I want to talk about this, this area here that, that goes out like a cross. It's called the transept. And so let's look first at the north transept, which would be this one. And you'll see it's it's a triple lancet. The one on the left is Jesus at age 12. 
when his mother lost him and he was talking to the elders in the temple. The one in the center is the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John down there praying. Jesus transfigured, you know, by with Moses and uh, Elijah up there. And then on the right-hand side is Jesus' baptism. And the Father up there speaking, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That, that window was given in memory of Judge Mudd by his ten children. Judge Mudd was um, elected judge as a Whig, as a constitutional unionist, a Republican, and a Democrat. Ne- continuously. He never, never, he didn't get fe- defeated. He just changed parties and he, he said the parties just changed and he just went with whatever, whatever the change was. But anyway, he was on, uh, he was a unionist. He, uh, he built what is now Arlington. It was called the Grove. And he had slaves out there. Um, yeah, many he had twelve, I think. He um, was a, a unionist, and when General Wilson, I just, the hundred fiftieth anniversary of this was just in the news in the last two weeks about General Wilson coming through here. He was destroying everything. Didn't destroy Arlington because Mud was a unionist, and Mud told him what kind of defenses we had in Tuscaloosa. And they used the the troops used that uh, building, the, the grove, while they were here. But after the war, Judge Mudd was on the Constitutional Convention of 1865, and he was the one that made the motion in in committee, well his committee anyway, that produced the motion that Alabama returned to the Union. He was a member of the, of the board of the Eastern Land Company his whole life. And there are lots of muds still around with, with ten children, you can imagine, that are related to him. One of the other things you'll find in the book is I like genealogy. And so I have done the genealogy on people, a lot of these people. And if they have anybody that's still in the advent that's related to them, I have their names in there and how they're related to these these various people. The altar, we don't know. I mean, the uh, pulpit, we really don't know the date. We think it was about 1910. If you've seen that picture, as you come in the advent from the Port Cashier, there's a picture on the wall on the left-hand side of, of, of the nave. And it shows the pulpit with a big old speaker over it. And it shows no... Um, altar and no rare dose or anything. By the way, there's a great story about the, about the altar shields on the, on the uh, table, the communion table. I didn't know. I was on here 11 years. I didn't know there were altar shields up there. I only knelt up there about every other Sunday, every Sunday. Uh, but there are altar shields of all the apostles and a fabulous story about how they got there, and which is all in the book. The, uh, there is um, a plaque up there in that pulpit that says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, which is 
I'll remind you to everybody that gathers in that, in that particular place what the subject of their sermon is supposed to be about. Then the south transept uh, is the one I chose for the, for the cover of the book. And it's, in my judgment, the prettiest, prettiest one we have. It shows, of course, the crucifixion in the center. The resurrection on the left and the ascension on the right. Now, Janice Ford Freeman noticed something in the crucifixion center window that I had never noticed. I don't know that anybody else had. But if you look at what the artist did and you look at Jesus, you see a Y. Look down at the bottom of the picture with the woman down there. Like this, you see an O. And then you look between the two people that are at his feet and you see a U. Who did he die for? Y-O-U. So that's an interesting thing, I think. Uh, Quickly, to give you the picture and really quick. On this side of the window, the three, the three other windows, this first window was here in 1902, um, and the next one was old, is older. The, um, but on this side are miracles. That one, the, the triple lancet there, right there, the first one is, um, I can't remember. The middle one is changing water into wine. Oh, and one of them is, oh, oh, oh Feeding the 4,000, and that's feeding the 5,000. So we've got miracles on three, and the last window, which is the, is the newest one, is the is Apostles' Creed. This side are the sayings of Jesus. This first one is the uh, prodigal son, and you've got to read it. It's the parables of Jesus, not the sayings, or the awesome sayings. You've got to read this window right to left. You can't see it very well because the sun's not out. But on the right-hand side is where the son's going to his father and asking for the money. The far left-hand side sees the son um, spending all the money, and the center picture is the son coming back. Then the next one is the parable of the... Um, um, uh, if it wasn't ringing bells, I'd remember. But anyway, two more parables. And the last one is the Lord's Prayer. And it was, it, 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 when it was done, there'd never been a window done of the Lord's Prayer. So let me give you a little conclusion here. All those who have gone before us built what we have physically, but more importantly, what we have as witnesses to the light. Today, our average Sunday school attendance ranks as 11th in the nation. We are the largest Episcopal church in Alabama. We owe those of our past and those of our future, our children and grandchildren, to carry forward as witnesses to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this building and its witness to you. And we just pray that in our lives and in our walk, on this earth, that we too might be witnesses to the light. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.